G'day folks, it is the coach here. It is a weekday. Uh, it is a public holiday, so I'm cracking open one for the Measured Gaming crew. I've got a delicious Young Henry's beer in front of me. But we're not here to talk about beer. We are talking about new player experiences and something that I've been really mindful of and something that I've wanted to do for a while. And friend of the show, Martin Orlando, had given me a really good suggestion in second edition. And he said, it'd be great for you, coach, to do a, like a, a day in the life of with a new player you know, see what their experience is like, because it's been a long time for me being a new player, coming into a tournament scene, not knowing anybody, you know, not knowing the meta, not knowing, you know, what I need, you know, there's things that I now know that I didn't know in the past. And, you know, it was kind of on the cusp of COVID and um, third editions come as well. And a lot has changed. And Tyler, my guest, um, first off, I want to do a proper introduction to Tyler. Tyler's been a great Discord member, but more importantly, you have recently gone to your first two-day event. You kind of played a couple of little local events, like one day, a couple of games mm -hmm. here and there, but you actually took your first step to your first tournament. And not only did you play in your first tournament, you went four and one, and you walked away with best general, which kind of got me thinking, what is it like being a first uh, a first time tournament experience? And what can you teach me? Because there's a lot of people, dude, who want to make the jump into tournaments. And I know I'm doing like a massive monologue. So I want to set the scene because I talk to a lot of people who start the tournaments or they want to get into tournaments. And they think of these people like win at all costs. I want to crush you into the ground. I want to uh, destroy you and make you cry and beat you in the first turn. And it's not like that. So. The scene is set. Before we get into it, Tyler, g'day, welcome. Say hello to the people. Tyler is a legend up in the New York upstate area, from what I'm told. Uh, you got delicious sandwiches and, uh, I don't know, other New York stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, Coach, thank you very much for having me on the show. And hello to everybody in the audience. And uh, I would say we have some pretty good sandwiches in upstate New York. We've got a, a couple solid places up here. If you ever find yourself around this way, let me know. <laughs> and you got, you got some fans in the chat, man, like a Bush, uh, Bush Baby, I love you. And like you've got some mad, mad crew. So we've got the, <laughs> definitely the right person. But uh, yes, yeah, so I uh, I am repping the upstate New York area. I'm a Catskill Mountains, born and bred. So I've... Uh, been playing in the area, jumping between games. Uh, I've played card games for most of my life. So uh, it's, you know, really nice to have finally made the transition into Warhammer and sort of uh, start off with a bang. And it's actually really good timing. I didn't quite plan it this way, but old man down below has made a really good comment as well, is that we are recording on the cusp of the LVO. So the Las Vegas Open could be the world's largest Age of Sigmar event, at least this year. Uh, I think it's around the 2 to 250 player mark for Age of Sigmar. And, you know, old man, for example, is attending it as his first tournament. And... I think it's interesting because, you know, whether you're going to a, a one day, a two day, a hundred players, a thousand players, I think the, the experience is the same. And I guess it's quite daunting, you know, taking that first leap. What do I bring? Um, how do I make friends? I think that's a big element. Like, you know, like I don't know anybody. How do I build rapport and relationships? And, you know, how do I make sure I'm not slow playing? And, and I see people even ask me, like, am I even ready? 
like, you know, do I need to get like a hundred games under my belt before I can actually attend a tournament, which I think is ridiculous. But Tyler, it's been ages since I was a new player. What's it like? Let's start the scene. Set the scene for me. What is it like as a new player jumping into Age of Sigmar and the competitive scene? So for me, Age of Sigmar was interesting because prior to picking up Age of Sigmar, I didn't really have any proper wargaming experience. Uh, I never played 40k. Um, I played some X-Wing when I was in uh, my uh, undergrad institution. And uh, so it was a whole different experience for me than playing card games because Warhammer is a game with dimension. There are things going on on table apart from the rule set in and of itself in the game system and the way that that's designed. So there's a visual component and then there's also the actual game component uh, that supports all of that. Uh, and so it was a lot. You know, you get told you have to pick up this book and you have to get this book and you need these models and they have to get painted to this standard. Um even just opening my first model kit, it was a, an Iron Jaws start collecting box. It was a whole lot uh, to piece through and start putting things together. Uh, but, you know, in the upstate New York area, we have a very supportive local community. Uh, a lot of people that were able to help me, you know, not only piece together my models, but figure out what I need, um, play some practice games at random numbers of points. I think my first game was like, it was the exact number of points that the arc box was. I was like, uh, can you build like 765 points? It was some strange number, but uh, it, it, it's a lot to take on. Uh, there's a lot of depth and not only knowing your own army and game pieces, but you have to multiply that for however many armies there are in the game. And then all the different sub factions for those armies. Um, but it's been really great to pick it up and run with it. And I think, you have to set good expectations for yourself too. You can't expect yourself to know every single facet of every army. Um, it's only as overwhelming as you allow it to be. But if you set reasonable goals and you work towards it gradually and you practice and you work on your hobby and everything, uh, you get there and you get to a place where you're comfortable going to um, any events or meeting people from your local community for games. Man, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said, you know. There's a lot to unpack because, and I'm seeing a lot of people in the chat who are, you know, overwhelmingly supportive because they're going to LVO, they're going to Adepticon, or they aspire to go to one of these big events because, um, you know, Age of Sigmar is a wonderful game. It's certainly not as big as 40K. And for some people, they've got to travel far to get these big events, these 50-player, 100, 200-player events. But how do I know if I've built my kit correctly? You know, do I equip my models with X weapon or Y weapon? Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm building my army and, you know, if I'm a new player, I don't have the models to adapt to the meta or the experience to adapt to the meta. So how on earth do I get to understand if I'm bringing a good army or if I'm not bringing a good army? There is so much to unpack here that mm -hmm. I think it can become overwhelming. Did you feel at any point in time leading up to the event a bit of over being, you know, being overwhelmed or am I good enough? Am I ready enough? Yeah, most definitely. I, uh, I think uh, in my area, there are a lot of uh, very competitive players, uh, people that are, you know, repeat performers, you know, doing four ones uh, at GTs um, that are all ranked fairly well on their respective armies. Um, but 
at the same time, I was also willing to leverage those people as a resource and play games against players that I knew were um, more skilled than me at the game so I could learn something, make a habit of asking, you know, what could I do better? What else could I learn um, from what you did? Um, it's e very easy to get caught up in what is the right decision. I think it's much better to think about what is the decision that you can make for your army and for your tournament experience that feels right to you. Doing things that allow you to feel a sense of comfort going into a new experience, but also um, playing with the models that you're comfortable with and you have experience with. Because if you're just tooling your list with whatever seems really great on paper, but you've never played it once and you bring it to an event, you know, there are probably some lists where you can maybe pick up a game or two, but once you hit somebody that has that experience up on you, no matter what army they're playing, in a lot of cases, and this is part of the beauty of Asia Sigmar, uh, they can pick up that win because they know their pieces, they know how to move them, uh, they know how to play them on different battle plans. Um, so I think on some level, you need to know what you don't know and understand where you can start picking up on some of those gaps, maybe saying, okay, maybe I don't have the right game pieces, but maybe I can make up for that by playing this army really well on the table. Um, maybe I can adjust my list slightly in this way, or maybe there's a better sub faction that complements the pieces that I'm playing. It might not be optimal, but it might be more synergistic. Um, there are a lot of options there where you can branch out and sort of retool the things that you do have, uh, but also allow yourself to, move in a direction that's both better for you on table and that you're more comfortable with. My advice. So I talk to a lot of people who are, you know, coming to, you know, I want to go to an event. I host my own events as well. And, you know, people often ask me, you know, am I ready? Um, you know, when should I join the tournament scene? And I often for me, it comes down to expectation setting. It is, what is your goal? And assuming that you have no Warhammer experience, you're not coming in from 40K, you, you are new to the hobby, you know, the expectation that I try to set with people is not winning more than you're losing, not going 4-1 and one or 5-0 and oh at a tournament, but to have five good games, to meet five new people, to learn some lessons and, and really go in there and have fun. And... And I know that sounds fluffy, but for someone who, I think someone entering the tournament scene, it's easy to feel overwhelmed if you don't have experience and references. You know, we know the top five and top six armies right now. You know, you know, how do I handle X? How do I handle, how do I handle Morathi? How do I handle dragons? How do I handle Longstrike? How do I handle Lumineth? There is so much depth to those questions. And often it's about scissor, paper, rock. And for a new player, it can be overwhelming and become almost too hard. So for me, my advice has always been, this is a, this is a learning. Go in there, have fun, do the best you can. And then next event, grow from that experience. Meet more players. And you'll go to it the next tournament and you'll recognize a few faces. And then you'll build upon the relationships. So we'll get into the good stuff, but I guess... For me, I kind of want to set the scene and tournaments aren't scary. For most of for 90% of the people going to tournaments, some some tournaments it might be a little bit lower than this, but most people just want to have a weekend playing Warhammer. Most people just want to hang out, have some beers, have some laughs. Their goal is to win more than they lose, but ultimately they just want to have fun. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think I would say that my experience has been much the same where, you know, you end up sitting with a lot of people at the table and no matter how competitive of a player they are, or what their track record is, they're looking to have a good time. They're looking to play a full five turns. And uh, that's one thing that I think makes Warhammer really unique is that that sense of camaraderie that's always present in the event hall. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's for me, tournaments are not necessarily the game that you're playing, but rather it's those social interactions, uh, chatting with people before the game, uh, chatting with people in between the rounds, like how did you go, what did you face, what happened? And it's those little social interactions that you really appreciate. And it's fun as well, kind of hearing people have their winning and looking at the ladder and seeing who can win and what and predict and um, you know, absolutely, you know, for a lot of people, as Sikarth just said, they just want to have a beer, they just want to play toy soldiers, they want to get away from work <laughs> and their life and you know, have some fun. And you know, they they spend so much time painting, they just want to have a laugh and tell stories. And as Crazy Horse said, it's about me the meeting of the beards. So cheers to that. <laughs> let me let me refine the conversation a little bit. So we kind of talked a little bit about tournaments and what what they're like and you know, by the way, like, you know, Anthony Pocastro, the uh, the crazy horse that just came up, like, I met him at Adepticon, and, you know, he dressed up like Vince Venturella with, like, an apron and, shave, and a shaved head, and it's some of the funniest stuff, but it's that cosplay things that happen as well. It's the people who go in there for laughs and shits and giggles, and, you know, the conversions, the the kit bashing, you know, you get some crazy, like, uh, Toral Black uh, in the Discord, Jonathan, I remember he rocked up to one event just up like a dwarf, like a Dwarden with a beard and like a like the craziest people. Again, it's just not, not about like crushing your enemies and drinking their tears. It's about having fun with the hobby. Oh, speak of the devil, he's in the chat. Um, but I, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you, like, what army did you start and why did you pick that army? So uh, I started with Iron Jaws. I um, I actually picked up my first models right before the new book dropped. Um, uh, a lot of people told me, oh, there's a new book coming, new book coming. But it was obviously that, that nobody knows when it's coming. It's coming, but TBD. Um, part of the reason I chose it was because, you know, growing up, I, I always eyed the 40K models at my local game store when I played card games as something that I maybe wanted to do. But you know, when you're when you're funding your card game uh, hobby with your weekly allowance, you know, Warhammer sometimes feels a little out of reach. So, you know, I never picked it up at the time, but I was always eyeing the orc models. And I remember in the display case uh, case of my uh, local game store, there's a beautifully painted uh, 40k orc army. Um, and so I, I already knew that I had orcs on the brain, like looking at Age of Sigmar. Um, there were a couple other armies on my short list as well. Uh, I very, very much um, like the Fire Slayers line. I liked Eidneth, um, and those were on my short list as well. But I also, in addition to wanting to buy models that I liked, I wanted an army that would help me patch up on the uh, areas of the game that I thought I would be lacking once I started to try going to events. Um, because I played card games, I was very good at deck building and piecing strategies and synergies together. And I thought that would translate really well to the list building component of Warhammer. Uh, but at the same time, I found myself, you know, watching battle reports and struggling with the visual component, finding my range and feeling out when and when I can't engage an opponent. How much do my units move? Where do I need to move them to? Um, but 
it, it, it was quite the challenge. And I thought that Iron Jaws would be a great army to pick up to help me figure out finding charge distances and uh, learning when to pull back um, and, you know, let my opponent walk into my army so I can make a charge or preparing for theirs. Uh, it, it gave me a sense of dimension on the table that I was really lacking as I was trying to learn the rules. Um, and so I ended up being able to double up in that. I ended up picking up an army that was a somewhat competitive choice. Uh, and then the new book made better. Uh, and then at the same time, they were also the models that I liked and helped me figure out the game. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that because it can be a challenge finding that army. And um, there might be some people listening to this who are, you know, absolutely about to start the armies. But you've got so much available community to you, whether it's Discords, Facebooks, YouTube videos, um, blogs. There is so much information out there to help you kind of pick your army. And I think to your point as well, the costs of buying an army can be so prohibitive to some people. Not everyone has the disposable income. Not everybody can just, you know, throw down cash anytime the meta kind of sh slightly shifts. So looking at the longevity, but also looking at your research, I think that's key, right? Not mm. picking up the hottest internet list right now, but rather what do you think you're going to enjoy painting and playing? And, you know, I always recommend there are some armies like, I've, you know, I've had a couple of people say to me, oh, I want to start Lumineth. And for someone who, and I'm not picking on Lumineth, it's just an example. But for someone who is new to the hobby, who doesn't know how to paint just yet, that can be a real challenge and it can stop people from enjoying their hobby, getting into the, the full army and they go, you know what, this is too hard. So, you know, Oryx are fun, or you're, you know, you got a whole range of different things, big models, detailed. Um, I, I like that you've done your research and it's funny because before we went on stream, I was scrolling through Facebook. I think I was just, you know, just scrolling the way we always scroll. And I saw your post in the Orc facebook group and you explicitly called out to them your help and getting guidance from the team and um i i love that you were able to leverage community to help you on your journey yeah definitely i uh i i can never solely take uh credit for my performance at the gt and getting best overall because it, it really was a team effort. There were a lot of people that played very patient games of Warhammer with me while I read my cheat sheet 30 times over. Um, there were people that have uh, helped me with the, the hobby component as well. Uh, I am admittedly not a super talented painter. It's something that I hope to work on with uh, fittingly the, the army of Lumineth models that's above my head right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, I had people that were, um, willing to help me figure some of that stuff out and pick out the right materials. Um, you definitely want to join those groups, join discord servers and lean on the community because the age of Sigmar community is especially helpful. Um, I, you know, I always, I think there's always this like innate anxiety when you ask a question like, Oh, is this a stupid question? But I, I really do feel sometimes at the Warhammer community that there's no stupid questions. You know, people are willing to give you a legitimate answer and point you in the right direction. Um, and everyone's a very good sport about it and very helpful to new players. And that's something that I really appreciate about Warhammer that I, I felt may have been a little lacking in some of my other gaming experiences where the community wasn't as receptive to helping people wade through the waters a bit. By the way, and, you know, what's great as well is obviously with the search functionality, right? If you're worried about asking a stupid question, 
see if someone someone's asked it already. Mm-hmm. You know, a quick a quick search like, um, how should I build my gore grunters? Okay, well, you know, how should I equip my mega boss on more crusher? Well, I'm sure discussions happened already, and if you're worried about it, or you just want to see how the conversations unfolded, it's already done. Like use the use the experience. And by the way, like you know, uh, a comment in the chat here. You know, I'm worried about building my models. I'm nervous. Mm-hmm. They're just plastic. Like you can buy more, you can hack them up, you can paint them however you bloody want to paint them. Um, and what's great about things like Nurgle as well is that they're disgusting. So if you make a mistake, slop some <laughs> some bile on, slop some blood on, get some rust out. Like you know, they're meant to look filthy. So that's that's probably why like the Lumineth was a good example because they're pristine, they're very mm-hmm. high detailed, and you know you're sitting there trying to learn how to edge highlight, but um you know absolutely you know don't go in there thinking you know um i'm building my models wrong i'm people are going to judge me for my painting or i'm not a good enough player something i want to rewind back to you mentioned as well is your opponents were quite patient and i think there is a stigma that when you go to a tournament everyone needs to know every single rule off memory they're not looking at books they're not looking at cheat Mm -hmm. sheets and if you can't do that you're not ready and I think that's trash. I think that's absolute trash. I think you need to practice and prepare as best as possible. But I've been at tournaments where people have made a mistake because they've assumed something, not looked at the rules. It's been an impact to the game. And they've had to go to the tournament organizer and concede. They've said, I won the game, but I made a massive mistake during the game that I shouldn't have been able to. So I'm going to actually going to concede. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or you don't want to get to the next game and then someone looks at the rules and go, oh, actually, that person cheated. They weren't able to do this. And you've built a reputation. So for me, I'd rather just use the app. I'd rather use AOS reminders. I'd rather have Mm -hmm. a cheat sheet and look for 30 seconds than pretend that I know everything and, um, you know, make assumptions. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I concur on that. Use your resources. Don't be afraid to use downtime between rounds to read war scrolls and maybe check out potential lists you might play against, get an idea of how things work on both sides of the table. Um, it can be overwhelming, especially if you're playing into an army that you haven't seen a whole lot. Um, and you want to make sure that not only that you're not getting anything wrong, but that your opponent isn't doing anything wrong as well. Um, but generally too, I find that players are willing to give each other the benefit of the doubt. And if there is a question, players are very good at pulling out their phones, referencing the uh, Age of Sigmar app, um, using cheat sheets, um, maybe even referencing war scroll cards as applicable, um, things like that. And just making sure that although they, everyone tries to know everything they can about their game pieces at the same time, we're all human. We all forget things. We all need to double check whether that thing has four or three attacks or what the rend is on that profile for that model that rarely attacks. Um, and that happens. I, uh, yeah. I do think, you know, relative to being afraid to build models, uh, it's important to say too, uh, on that front, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Um, you can always patch it up later if need be. And sometimes I think those mistakes add character. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that I bur- uh, built my first six Gorgruntas. Uh, and um, my my friend Steve is in the process of going through, and he's uh, helping me get those all painted up nicely. And uh, he goes to paint the teeth, and he, he sends me a close-up of the front of the Gorgruntas, and he goes, did you miss a bit? And I go, what do you mean? And the 
in the front, like where the two Gorgon to have wedged together, there's like a little tooth piece that goes like right here. And I just completely missed it. So I think I thought it was part of the sprue and I tossed it. So my Gorgon does have giant tusks, but they, they don't have their two front teeth. <laughs> They got in a good scrap. Oh, I mean, I've yeah. done that so often. Like you cut a you cut a part of the sprue, or you you mm -hmm. get ahead and you build something and you miss. Like perfect example. Like um, there's an endless spell called the Purple Sun, and like this amazing like little frame in the middle. I'm like, stuff. I'm not doing the frame. I just like built the ball. But you know, mm -hmm. like again, it's just plastic. It's just I have fun with it. Like, and it's probably why some of my advice to people getting started in the hobby is don't build and paint your heroes until you've done troops first get a feel of like for example like i did a video around getting started with noble don't go straight into the great unclean one or you know um the the glockin start off with some plague bearers get familiar with the armor of a um of a, a blight king get familiar with some of the troops paint them see how the crevices work and you know trying to get you know the fleshy and the bile and the greens and the yellows as opposed to going just straight to this big centerpiece model because you learn how to paint and then you look at your great unclean one and then you look at your plague bearers and you're like, I could have done a better job if I waited. I've now learned how to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, do I buy another model? Do I accept something that's mediocre? Do like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a lot easier to go back to it and fix it too. If it's uh one of 20 troops versus your one giant centerpiece model that everyone's going to see a few feet away from the table too, you know? Um, people aren't looking at those models as closely as you assume they are, which is, you know, something I've been trying to work on myself. <laughs> Pace over perfection. Yeah. Pace over perfection. Don't get, unless you're entering golden demon and you want to win like best painted, like just get it out there, paint it to the best standard you can possibly paint it, but don't kind of, um, don't get too uh, worried. Cause you mostly looking at your tables from afar, you know, Jade, you know, like how many times I've missed, you know, thrown out a model. I a hundred percent agree. I've done that plenty of times and Gareth Thomas as well. Like, you know, 98%, 99% of AOS players are totally friendly. They're super helpful. They appreciate that you have come from a certain world and, and, I find most people in the community, very few people I would I would put in into a bucket outside this, is they want you to, they want you to stay. They want the community to grow. They want you to come back to events and they want you to bring a friend. Because we've all been, you know, when I started Age of Sigma, um, when Warmer Fantasy died, um, big events were like 30 people. And in the early days, like a 50-player event was like crazy numbers. Now we have 200, 250, and we look at the 40K world and go, how do we get to 500 players? How do we get 1,000 players? And that all starts with growing, nurturing, and fostering the community. So I think to Gareth's point, 100% um, people are excited about getting you to help someone new, to bring in a friend, to teach. And there's been plenty of times at a tournament, and I'll, I'll share a little secret. There was a... Uh, well, not quite a secret. I might have mentioned this in the past. There was a tournament a few years ago. Um, it was Australia's major tournament, CanCon. And I got paired up in round two against a 13-year-old girl. And um, we played the game and she ultimately won. And I made her fight for her win. Um, and I, I threw the game, like, spoiler. Um, but I, I didn't make it obvious that I, I threw the game. And it was it was our major tournament. But for me, 
keeping this young player who was playing by themselves, mummy and daddy were, were playing in other games, but not necessarily at the table with them. But I wanted to foster that community. I want them to have a great time. And for me, I would rather throw the game and help someone in the community than crush a child, essentially. And this person is still in the community today. They're growing. They're awesome. They come to my events. They're sassy as hell. And I absolutely love them. And, um, you know, we need more people like that. Um, I'm not looking for like a Warhammer Hero Award. I'm just calling out that people want to see the community grow and thrive. And they'll provide coaching opportunities. They will offer advice. They will say to you, hey, Tyler, do you really want to do that? Or, hey, dude, you forgot your shooting phase. As opposed to, oh, he's, he's, he's forgotten his phase. I'm just going to shut up and, like, take advantage of this. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, definitely try to pay it forward, too, with the people that ask you, hey, uh, did you call your battle tactic or what heroic action did you do? Those things that we we know we have to do, but we often forget at the start of the turn. Um, and I think, too, with new players as well, there's a good way to win against new players as well. Where if you're really so concerned in an event or whatever the case may be, um, you can play against them and you can pick up that win, but you can make them feel like they fought for it and that they learned something from that and that they got a good, fun experience out of that um, time at the table. I uh, I think back to my first couple of games and frankly, I, I, I got whooped up and down the table, but every single time that I played, my opponent was willing to teach me something. Here's something you could have done better. Or as I was making decisions, they would say, might I suggest instead of trying for this battle tactic, this might be an easier one to accomplish. Or, hey, you might want to target this hero as opposed to this one uh, because I get such and such buff. Um, and people like that and interactions like that, they go a long way. They keep you in the hobby. I can say that, you know, may maybe if I jumped right in and my first like five opponents just beat me and didn't say a word to me after the game and didn't really want to talk during. I, I might've pulled away from that with a different experience. So it's really important that you pay it, uh, pay it forward always when you play people and try to make the game as fun as possible for both people involved. Yeah. Like when, you know, a, a good player knows when the game can be won. And, you know, I know Gareth has given me shit about losing to a 13 year old. <laughs> um, you know, he's just being sassy, but you know, the way I did it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily throwing the game, that I'd moved, I was playing against Seraphon and um, I had moved off my home objective and I was winning the battle, right? But I knew that the, uh, I was building it in such a way that the victory points were roughly balanced. Um, I wasn't giving away too many, but I also wasn't getting too far of a lead. But in turn five, I moved my uh, battle line unit off the objective and I knew that she had the teleport up her, up mm -hmm. her sleeve. And I, I did it in such a way that if she noticed the teleport, she'd be able to snag it with, I think she had some salamanders or some razordons left. And um, and she did. She noticed that there was a gap. She could teleport outside of nine, steal the objective, and she won the game. And um, I'm super proud of her. I didn't point out to go, oh, did you do this or why don't you do this? But a lot of people as well don't want the help. So I think it's key to know when to when to mm -hmm. offer. And, and also, like, you know, do you mind if I offer you a piece of advice or – you know, can I ask why you did that as opposed to, oh, actually, you should do this or why don't you do this? There's a way of asking and getting them to at least think about the the outcome. And, and sometimes as well, the other big thing for me is making sure that at the end of the game, you just don't wrap up. 
you you try to have like a five minute reflection and it could be can we talk about the game or you know is there anything that you could have done differently that you know might have changed the outcome i don't know if you did that you know in your in your lead up but certainly i found that's been really helpful to for, for new players to get experience yeah i um you know as i was saying before like i always made a habit of asking people um both players that were less experienced than me um you know what they thought of the game things that maybe they thought they could have done better than offering feedback where it's welcome but also when i played against players more experienced than me uh asking the same what could i have done better did i you know do you think maybe i should have done this instead um and as you said you know it's always important to make sure that the help that you're offering is solicited and understanding that different players are going to want to pick up those skills and uh piece together their understanding of the game in a different way. Some people like to make their mistakes and learn from it that way. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, it, it goes back and forth and it varies person to person, but I think there's a lot to be said there about um, offering assistance where you can um, and being open to taking uh, advice. If you're a new player as well, um, you know, obviously some people, might want to sit and work through it on their own. But, you know, I, I invite any new players that are trying to pick up the game and figure things out for themselves to ask players what they could do better. Yeah, and Gareth's made a great point, you know, by helping a new player with tactical decisions, you're also helping yourself get better and you're seeing the full side of the table rather than just yourself. And I 100% agree. You know, when you are confident in your own ability um you can give away things and you can share information and i think that's probably one big difference that i've seen in my journey you know a confident player will give up information and not kind of like we call it gotcha moments you know like you know i didn't know that your your unit could come in from reserve um i didn't know this uh, this unit had a uh stop you from piling inability whatever it might be right and you kind of learn in the moment I think absolutely, yeah. There's is so much good stuff there. Um, hundred percent, yeah. I'm, I'm in full agreement. Um, no, it's good, good chat by the way. I want to get into the meat and potatoes though. Like, I want to kind of like get mm. into the real good stuff, right? So you've, you, you've decided to. Uh, what, by the way, what made you jump into getting into a tournament? Like, what was that moment to realize that I'm going to go from casual or local play into something much bigger like Golden Sprue? I uh, I think I knew very early on from the start that I wanted to jump into tournaments. Um, I've always been a fairly competitive guy, both when I played uh, various card games. Uh, and so I, I've always embraced that side of um, just about any game that I've played. Um, and I think the thing that really helped me feel especially comfortable taking that jump in Age of Sigmar uh, was just that through the local scene, I met a lot of the players that went to those events um, and I felt comfortable showing up there and, you know, hanging out to play practice games. Um, it does help sometimes when you know people to say, like, I'm ready to take that jump, you know, like, if these guys can do it, so can I. Like, we'll, we'll go together, show up to the event. Um, you know, it's always nice to have a group to travel with as well. That um, helps you feel encouraged to take that jump as well when you feel like you're not just playing for yourself. You know, you're, you're playing amongst friends, and if you both – Oh, and five, you can high five, grab yourselves dinner on the way back, and so be it. Um, but I, I think I figured it out very early on that that was the direction. Um, 
that I would want to go. Um, and I think also because my local scene, a lot of our local players were incredibly uh, talented hobbyists. Um, I felt like we needed someone as well to sort of uh, start pushing us in that competitive direction again and reinvigorating some of that tournament scene locally and getting our local shop to put events on. And I, I wanted to be that guy very early on because, you know, I would show out to our weekly league and I was like, Oh, like, do we have any like local events going on? Like, like what's up with that? Um, and, you know, we've started having those more frequently. We've been having like uh, monthly, like local RTTs and stuff. Um, and so I think that was a part of it too. Like I felt like there was some aspect of our local community that was missing to keep us like really well-rounded. Um, and so I think making that jump allowed me to so sort of fill that gap as well and offer some competitive critiques to local players and uh, um, sort of make our local community a, a complete skill set. You know, we've got, so, we've got some competitive players. We've got some great hobbyists. We've got some people that are very into the lore that could tell you more about my Iron Jaws than I could. Um, so I think that was a big part of it as well as knowing what I learned from my local community and, uh, where some of that knowledge was lacking and what I wanted to pick up, um, and fill that gap for other players as well. I will say as well, if you are looking to go to a tournament or you're even out of state and you happen to be, you know, like, uh, I know a few people in America and even myself, I'll travel for work, you know, in a COVID free world where, you know, back to normality, you know, we travel for work and it happens to coincide with a tournament, whether it's a one day or a two day tournament. And you're like, Hey, I'm going to bring my war dollies with me and I will play at this tournament. I know plenty of people who have reached out to me as a tournament organizer and said, Hey, I'm from out of state. Hey, I'm coming to your tournament and I don't know anybody. Um, and as a tournament organizer, I will go out of my way to introduce that person, to get them in, involved in the community. You don't have to go to an event with people. If you happen to know a games club or if you're like, hey, let's let's go as a group and let's prove ourselves as the best group and you know have some fun along the way or let's hire an Airbnb together and um, whatever that might be. But if you don't know anybody, cool. You can still go and, and you know, I, I've actually found people quite accommodating as well. Yeah, I uh, m much the same uh, in my own experience. I think at events too, there could be a tendency when if you're following like Age of Sigmar events and you know to yourself like, oh, like this person uh, consistently 5-0s GTs or this player is really good. I think there can be some like innate social anxiety with wanting to speak to those players because they're accomplished. Um, and honestly, I think those are the best players to try to speak to because a lot of the time they're all very great ambassadors for the game and they offer a wealth of knowledge. Um, they're overwhelmingly friendly. Um, and often you can meet other accomplished players as well through them. Um, you can pick up great tips both on the hobby side and on table. Um, and I think that can really help a lot too. Talking to your opponents is another great thing. Um, I try to make it a habit myself when I'm at events. Like when I play somebody, maybe later in the day, I check back with my round one opponent. Like, Hey, how'd your other games go? Like, how's the event going for you? Are you having a good time? Things like that. Because uh, that's how you build lasting connections with people in the hobby. Um, and it's, you know, how you also learn things. Um, you might hear from your round two opponent that they played like a really solid Lumineth player and they did some crazy thing that 
they didn't expect. And you go, oh, now I know to like think of that too. So there's a exchange of knowledge there and a good amount of uh, camaraderie that you can build just amongst players just by going out of your way to put yourself out there and talk to them. And most of the time, those players are willing to speak back with you as well. Perfect example, right? So, um, you know, Anthony, uh, Anthony, um, I'm, I'm leading to Anthony. Um, Mike made a really good comment because so the, the event that Tyler um, has done really well at was Golden Sprue. And I think it ended around 30 to 40 players. Like the end number didn't doesn't quite matter. And you might think to yourself, well, going four and one at a, at a small 30 player event is not that big of a deal. But to Mike's point, the event that you did really well at had some incredibly good players, you know, t- people who are in the American world team for 2022. Um, there are people who I was looking at the LVO post and seeing who um, who's going to LVO. A lot of people who are leading like best in faction w- were at this event. So, you know, you are in a very competitive um, meta, but they're also just humans. Like I've been at events where people um, people have been concerned to talk to me. They're looking at me from afar, talking to somebody about, oh, my God, that's coach. And I'm just a human. And people who are doing really well, you know, various internet people are talking about players who do really well. You know, Anthony Trentinelli, for example, was at that event. Really good player. If you see Anthony, just have a chat. He's just a human. Mm-hmm. And if you're a little bit concerned – Go, hey, man, love, love what you do. I've seen you do really well. Can I buy you a beer if you're really concerned about it? But for most part, just introduction, you know, I'm sure they would love to have a chat. And it might not be right here, right now. Maybe they're about to do something. But most people are just happy to have a chat, you know. And you know what? After this event, maybe we'll grab a game together if we're in the same area or whatever it might be. If we don't meet at the tournament, let's set up a game. Yeah, definitely. And I, uh, you know, I actually, it's funny you mentioned Anthony Trentinelli, but I, I got to speak with him at the event and uh, Noah Singh um, and a lot of other players. Um, I spoke with Corey, who, I, if I recall correctly, ended up 5 0 the event with Stormcast as well. He's a great player. He's my round two opponent. Um, and I think really going out of your way to talk with those players is always beneficial. Um, and I think also, like, like you said, you've got to be willing to get a game in with them where you can. I, uh, you know, go- going into this event, honestly, like I-, I didn't really have any expectations of finishing 4-1. My goal was to go play five games of Warhammer, have a decent time, maybe grab dinner with friends after the East United event. But at the same time, when I show up to an event, I'd really like to play a Noah Singh or an Anthony Trentinelli because I know I can learn something. And y- you want to get to the table and you want to say to yourself, like, okay, like, what aspects of my game can I patch up? You know, what can I do better to reach that aptitude of player? Um, And I think whether it be social interactions at the table or in between rounds, that really helps you bridge that gap and figure out where you might be missing something or where you have an opportunity to learn from them. Well, you're getting three hours of quality game time with a person who's got hundreds of games who are thinking and doing list tech and they're testing and they're discussing with other great players. They're practicing on a world stage, you know, not necessarily everyone's in the world's team, but you're getting three hours and you get to see how they look at their army. And, Mm. you know, if you build enough relationship, it will continue post event. I think that's the big message that I want people to take away from this. It is not just about the two days you're together. It's about what happens after the event. 
It's about the relationship you build for the next event, the locals. It's the the invitations to the group chats or the WhatsApps or um, being more confident in Discord. You're like, oh, now I know this person. I'm more confident to talk to this person because now I now have some form of relationship as opposed to I'm a complete stranger. And by the way, um, thank you to another Tyler, Tyler Pearson uh, Buckets, uh, throwing some cash. Thank you very much. Must be from Tyler to Tyler. Um, some big <laughs> love. But I know for me, I know for me when I first got into tournaments, one of the things that I tried to do to get across the meta um, was I challenged not only some of the best players in my area, but I also headhunted the, the armies that were doing really well because I wanted my first game against some of those um, armies not to be at the GT. I wanted to get the experience at the time at the local event. And then as I go into the tournament, I've got some more thoughts. I can tweak my list if I want to, or I can maybe make better decisions on the table. Did yeah. you, what did you do when it came to like list designing and the meta? So I uh, I did much the same. I, I did a lot of headhunting in my practice games. Uh, it you know anyone that's uh, seen me in the AOS coach TTS uh, chat, I'm always in there. I'm asking to play Seraphon. I'm asking to play Lumineth. I I personally want all the smoke with the best armies in the game. Usually, uh, th that's what I want to go for because that's where I know I'm going to learn the most. Um, and I think. In terms of meta, meta is really important to me. Part of that probably comes from my time playing card games. I, uh, you know, whenever I would go to a card event, I, I always prided myself on, you know, being able to feel my way out of matchups against the high performers in the format. And uh, I've tried to emulate that same sort of style in AOS so far and picking matchups and seeing what lies ahead uh, for me at events. Uh, in the case of Golden Sprue, I knew there was a lot of Stormcasts. So in the, the week preceding the event, I think I played 10 games back-to-back -back against uh, Stormcast. And it was all, you know, six van uh, the Vanguard Raptors. It was pain. Uh, it was a, a brutal slog of games, losing a Maw Crusher first turn every single game. But you push through it and you get there because... You know, you have to bridge that gap and build that experience. And the best way to do that is by playing. Um, so meta was really important for me. Um, but I think also that there's some level of internal preparation, like within an army as well, in terms of picking uh, the units that you think might perform the best for you or that you can handle the best. Uh, I know I made some very tough cuts in the weeks leading up to the event, um, just trying out all different lists. Um, I went back and forth between having a third war chanter, a fungoid cave shaman, and a weird knob in my iron jaws list probably like 30 times over the course of a month. I tried them all out in all different directions, and I ended up settling how I settled because I felt that it was not only the game piece that I could handle the best, uh, but it was also the one that I felt complemented my play style and understanding of the game the best as well. Um, and I also felt like all of those were comparably optimal choices. Uh, and so once you have that comfort and you have that understanding of any of these are necessarily viable options, um, it makes it easy to kind of piece together, like what it is that you want from your army, uh, and the game pieces that you choose for your final list. A couple of things I want to pull out of there. One, 
10 games back-to-back with Stormcast is absolute champion material. So I think, uh, I can't remember who it was, Frank called it out as well. Absolute legend. Um, but Stormcast is doing really well, so I love that you got practice. And there's been plenty of times where I've practiced a suboptimal list or I've practiced some theory, like what happens if my more Crusher is killed in turn one? What could mm-hmm. what can my army do and what would I do in this situation if my opponent knew what to take down, my War Chanter, whatever it might be? The other part that I really want to pull out here and I want to really reinforce, and it's a conversation I had with somebody going into um, one of the Warhammer tournaments, the Games Workshop tournaments, and um, they were changing and chopping their list constantly, almost like a weekly basis. And, you know, you can get obsessed with um, events and the top tens, you know, I mentioned LVO, but they're not the only major event. There's hundreds of events that happen throughout the year. And if you keep looking every week at what are the top 10 lists of, of the of the week or whatever it might be, you chop and change your army too much. And it's not the list that's going to win you the game. It's the decisions you make on the table and it's underst- getting an, a better understanding of your army and its capabilities. You know, it's the maths are going right. Well, if my army goes in, my, my unit goes into a, a particular unit, it has these buffs on, what can I expect it to do? If I don't get those buffs off or what's the likelihood of this or if I'm building around this strategy, what happens? It's those decisions that will win you the games. And it's why people like Bill Souza, for example, can go 5-0 and o with, with Beasts of Chaos Slanesh or they can do really well with Flesh Eater Courts at a GT that most other Flesh Eater Courts players go, how on earth do you do it? It's not the list. It's not the army. It's the decisions and what you're doing throughout the game. So I can't stress that enough. It's not about finding the most optimum list because it might not be your play style. And there's a time where you just need to settle, practice, and just go for the best you can. Yeah, definitely. I I agree with that totally. I think that it's easy to get caught up in constantly refining and tweaking. And the truth is, Metas are always changing. Uh, It's a a moving target. You will always be chasing the meta and constantly tweaking if you really fixate on that. And I don't think that those minor tweaks have the same impact in a game like Age of Sigmar as they may in, say, Magic the Gathering or like the Pokemon TCG. Um, there's a point at which you have to cut yourself off and focus on making sure that your table play is up to snuff when you're getting ready to go to an event, especially if you have the intent to do well and you want to pick up some wins. Uh, and th- thank goodness for list submission, because when the deadline comes calling, it's you can say, okay, this is it. You submit it, and then there's no more tinkering. You've got to learn it. <laughs> well, 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 there's one part to this we haven't acknowledged yet, and this is part of the conversation I was having with this particular player, and that is you've got to paint the models. Unlike Magic the Gathering and unlike other card games, I can swap my deck without any problems. It's just grabbing mm-hmm. the card and swapping it in. Merry Christmas. But for our hobby, you've got to buy the models, build them, and paint them. Mm-hmm. So if you keep switching your army and you're and you don't have like you know a massive cabinet like I do full of hobby, then you're adding additional stress to your your deadline, and you've got to get it to a point where it's painted. So sometimes, again, especially if you're new, um, 
making sure that you have your army painted and you're not stressing yourself out. You're not you're not painting until the wee hours of the morning. I went to a tournament once where someone was literally painting before the first game. They were painting their <laughs> army, trying to get three-color minimum at the time. Um, I think they sp sprayed their Stormcast white uh, and, like, painting gold trim and, like, they're just purely trying to get um, uh, their, their, their list um, painted. Otherwise, the tournament organizer would say, not painted, get it off the table. So I think it's that project management of balancing, you, you playing some games, but also having the models. And obviously, as you get deeper into the hobby, you have more models, those time pressures will get less and less. Um, so something to keep in mind as well, it's probably the thing we don't talk about enough is net shopping and changing. And it's great because um, a tool that we've got access to now that you acknowledged is Tabletop Simulator and the communities like mine, but not necessarily just mine, that allows you to practice with armies before you go out and and um, uh, and, and buy them. And if you don't have, like I know uh, you mentioned Mike, for example, I think Mike said that you had specifically gone out and, and fought his, his um, Sons of Behemoth. If you don't have a local Sons player, or you don't have a local Stormcast, Long Strike, you know, Dragon list. Well, you can use Tabletop Simulator to find someone in the internet who has the army that you think, and you can play a game without actually having someone physically in the table. So I'm really mindful because I live in a massive city, so I can find any player. But not everyone lives in a massive city, so you know their their exposure to the meta. There are people who are like, oh, I've never played IDK. It's like, how on earth have you not played against Eidna Deepkin? But some army, like some metas are like full of like Beasts of Chaos and Gits and and like people are like, how do I beat Gits? I'm like, they're easy. But it's just like, use your tools at your advantage. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I that reminds me, you know, just of my local meta because, you know, we have multiple Stormcast players. We have multiple Cities players. We have multiple Beasts of Chaos players. Uh, you know, for a while, it was a daunting task for me to tell you the difference between Stormcast battle lines. But, you know, after these past couple of weeks, I sure know it by now. <laughs> well, at the tour, and, th and that's probably another part I want to call out with the meta. And you had a very interesting meta, right? Because another piece of advice I give to new players is that you worry about these, these top six or top five or, you know, whoever is causing terror in the meta. You know, right now, it'd be what? Daughters of Cain. Stormcast, Zench, Seraphon, Lumineth. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple of others that I'm not thinking about right now. Um, but there's, you know, there's, there's, there's the whole uh, Suns, obviously, is a perfect example, another one. Um, but there's these armies that are doing really, they're really good in the meta. But when you go to a tournament, usually it's only five games. Three games if it's a one dayer, five games if it's a two dayer, eight games if you're insane, you go to LVO. Um, but there's like 20 odd armies and there's millions of different builds in each of those armies. Just because I play Stormcast army doesn't mean they're going to have dragons and long strikes. So worrying and tailoring your army to what the meta is, you may completely dodge them. Or in your case, did you, didn't you play like three out of three Stormcast armies? I played four Stormcast armies back to back. Four out of five games were Stormcast. Yeah. Now that's pretty that's pretty unusual, folks. Like, don't expect that type of matchup. But it's clear, like, you, you could have been going into a tournament worrying about how do I handle Pink Horrors? How do I handle Suns? How do I handle, you know, Marathi and Gotrek? Mm -hmm. And how do I handle Croak? Yeah. You play and I, you... Yeah. I, I certainly played against those armies, too. And then 
once everybody uh, submitted their lists, I was like, oh, well, I suppose I'm not playing any zinch at this event. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is easy to get caught up in that, especially, you know, I, I, I'm, I'll be the first to say that I'm a number cruncher. I love looking at stats um, and I, I love figuring out like, you know, how different things fare and what match up and what the difference makers are. But it's easy to get, like, like you said, caught up in that big six and thinking like those armies, they feel like they're, they're hanging over you when you're list building, but you just might not see them. And that's something you have to keep in mind. And there are other armies that might not be those big six where, you don't necessarily need to know every facet of them, but if you don't respect the core mechanics of those armies and a capable player with them, they're, they're going to run you off the table. Um, and that's a big one because I remember, um, I remember my first year of competitive age of Sigma and I played um, what is now cities of Sigma, but it was before cities of Sigma was even a book. Um, well, before I had a set of rules. And um, for most people, it was an off-meta list, and most people had no idea how to handle it. You know, you you hear all the internet talking heads talk about how X build works, you know, um, or you you see them being played well. But when they come against a Skaven list, um, a Nighthaunt list, a Gits list, and there's been some good Gits lists that have gone around, um, you good players get thrown off because they haven't been practicing, they haven't been thinking about the Horde meta. They haven't been thinking about what they do against Skaven because they've been so focused on those top five or top six. So, again, I think the point that I'm trying to reinforce new people is don't get too sucked in to this meta because you may not face it and you really need to focus inwards and just focus on yourself, focus on your army, and focus on making better decisions for yourself as opposed to trying to worry about the million combinations about to be thrown at you. Yeah, totally agree to that end. I uh, I think that you always have to think about the meta as a moving target. It's something to consider. It's something to think about, but it's not something to get bogged down with. It's not something to um, revolve your Age of Sigmar life around. Um, there will always be some big bad armies, and there will always be some mid-tier armies, and there will always be some that might need a little bit of a boost from GW. Uh, but you want to find yourself with a list that you're comfortable with. You want to feel capable playing that list. And you'll find that nine times out of 10, just knowing a list and knowing your mechanics well can get you through games against even armies that you're unfamiliar with. Um, yeah. I, I would say that, you know, if your goal is to win the event and you're putting in the reps, obviously what I've said is a different story, but I'm thinking majority of new players who are just going in, want to play with their war dollies, have some fun, meet some people, mm -hmm. don't get too sucked in. If you are coming from a competitive wargaming background, you do your reps, you're, you're playing lots of games, and this is your first toy, and you want to, like, you know, make a statement, completely different story. So, you know, just separating the two there. But um, on the day, man, what, what what was it like? Like, you walked into the hall for the first time, set, set me uh, the scene and paint me a picture for the new players. Like, was it a bunch of like smelly, smelly dudes full of BO, just like <laughs> ass cracks everywhere. Like, you know, we see your magic, the gathering photos or like, what was it? What was it like visually? It was, um, more people than I'm used to seeing at your average AOS event. Um, but it was, there was a good handful of familiar faces. I, um, ended up carpooling to the event with a friend as well. And, uh, 
you know, I know that uh, the TO, the paint, uh, the paint judge team are all people that I'm familiar with from my local scene. So there were familiar faces to go up to say hello and, you know, browse the tables, uh, say hello to players, maybe ask questions if they have a cool paint job. Um, you know, even just like saying that, like I can think of just like some players whose army is that like I saw it and I was like, wow, that's awesome. Uh, you had mentioned Martin Orlando earlier, but I, his Lumineth display board was beautiful. And the first thing, uh, one of the first things that was said to me when I walked into the event was, uh, I was like, wow, that is an awesome display board. And they're like, oh, that's Martin's, go look at it. And I, I walked over and I, you know, I chatted a bit with Martin about it, but uh, you find a lot of opportunities very quickly when you come in to talk to people prior to the event uh, and chat, you know, you go up, you grab yourself a drink, you get ready for the day. Um, in some cases, if pairings are already up, then, you know, you might want to move your stuff over the table, but it, it was very different than say Magic the Gathering in that. I found it to be a lot more comfortable than any magic event that I had been to previously, or even when I played Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, any other card game. And I, I think a lot of that had to do with the way that a lot of the players carried themselves and people, you know, just come up to you and they say hello and things like that. Um, so that, that was a really positive part of the experience for me. And I can understand how for new players, you know, you have that fear going in that maybe, it's not going to be like that, or it might be a cutthroat environment, but it, it really wasn't like that at all for me. Uh, I had five great opponents back to back and everyone that I was able to talk to in between was fantastic. Um, so it was a really positive experience overall and uh, just very comfortable. Everyone does a good job of socializing and I think making everyone else feel as comfortable as possible, both at the table and just chatting in between rounds, whether it be about the hobby or any other topic. Yeah, no, I like it. And, you know, some things that I've done in my Discord, and it's not necessarily unique to me. I've seen it in Facebook groups and um, Facebook event pages, for example. People will say, um, in anyone carpooling from X? Or does anyone want to grab breakfast, you know, before the event? And um, as a tournament organizer, I've now set up a Sunday breakfast session at my event. So um, we can all kind of meet up and hang out and, you know, create that space that, if people don't know too many people in the community, they can just have like a casual, you know, debrief. And you got to remember as well, we all have one thing in common. That's Warhammer. If nothing more, we got one thing in common and we can all talk about each other with Warhammer, our games played, our armies, what we expect, how's our game. It's all got commonality. So if nothing more, it's great to hear you've had some good experiences. What did you bring to the table? Did you just bring your army? Did you bring any gaming aids? Um, anything maybe you wish you brought? Uh, so the one thing that I did not get before the event that I wish I brought that comes to mind is just a three-inch uh, tool just to see if you're engaged or not. That is so useful on the table. The combat gauge? Um, yep. I uh, I did not bring one. Um, I just you know, I had a couple friends send me like links for different ones that they use beforehand. But even if I had ordered it, uh, ordered it, it wouldn't have arrived before Golden Sprue. So I, I showed up without one. So I did it the good old fashioned way of the tape measure. But uh, my last opponent day one actually was so kind as to give me one, which I actually I, I have on my desk. because I have some of my hobby stuff here. But uh, we were playing and I was like, oh, like, do you, do you mind if I use like your three inch indicator? Because it's kind of an awkward angle. And uh, I was like, I was like, I've been totally meaning to get myself one of those. And they're like, oh, 
I have plenty. Here you go. Um, so that worked out, even though I, you know, early on regretted not having it. I just so happened to have acquired one by virtue of having a very kind opponent. Um, in terms of things that I brought, uh, you know, obviously the usual stuff, dice, you bring your tape measure. Um, I did bring my army. Um, I was using one of those, uh, I think it's battle foam, like the Magnarax bags. Um, so I was able to just pull out the trays that the army was on and transport it fairly easily between tables. Um, so that was helpful just from getting from table to table. Um, obviously a lot of players use their display boards for that purpose as well. I did not have a display board on that day. Um, also dice tray helps you keep things clean on the table, or if, uh, you do want to roll on the table, it keeps your dice all in one spot really helps you out, uh, long-term. Um, but aside from that, uh, the most important thing to bring, I think is a smile and a good attitude. Um, just show up and be ready to have some fun. Oh, two other things I'd add to, I would add to that. That's so cool. But I want to meet Tyler. I want to hug you. I want to meet you. Come over to New York. I'm sure Martin would love me to come to Atlantic City Open, um, and we all kind of meet up there. But two things that I, I would I would encourage as well. Um, if you don't have the Magna Rack, um, some type of that TV dinner tray. Um, you know, you know, McDonald's trays, those, those flat trays that essentially, you know, you use to serve mum breakfast in bed or whatever it might be. Um, so if you're, you know, you, instead of packing your army away every game and then moving tables, you just like put them on your little tray and move the tray around and um, that saves a lot of time. And the other one, especially you mentioned earlier about not knowing your rules or not being confident, whether you make yourself a, a, che a checklist or a cheat sheet or AOS reminders, that's definitely a great way to kind of do that very quickly. And if nothing more, it's a checklist. You don't have to rely on it and go, right, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. It's like, cool, I've got some spells. Did I cast those three key spells that I normally need to cast every round? And then, like, everything else can, you know, just be cream on top. I think there, you know, there's always those things we've got to do. Um, and to uh, to to the question I had, I got asked as well is, you know, how do you find tournaments? Uh, I'll, I'll come to you in a second on how you found your tournaments, but your local communities, whether it's um, Discord, Facebook groups, Facebook events, um, uh, Dan AOS Shorts runs, um, I think it's called AOSEvents.org. Uh, um, I'll see if I can get the link after the show and put it down below. But, you know, there's a collation of all the events and, um, you know, whether you're in Michigan or whether you're willing to travel to some of the other areas around you, you can kind of see what's on the roadmap. And if you're like me who likes to travel internationally as well, um, you can kind of see it at a world level. Best Coast Pairings as well um, has a, a great roster of upcoming events and it's very easy to find too. So um, not all events are on Best Coast Pairings, but it's um, it definitely has a big catalogue of events. Uh, and partially where as well where I kind of find where all the top lists are and who's doing well, you know, it's been a good central location for me. But Tyler, how do you find Golden Sprue and how are you finding events? So ordinarily I use best coast pairings, but I also in, uh, you know, working with, uh, and learning from different people locally through playing reps, uh, you know, people pass along through word of mouth, different events. Um, so that's been very helpful as well. Uh, I just so happen to talk relatively frequently to some of the TOs in my area as well. So I, they give me the heads up when things are coming. Um, the thing with golden spur was interesting because I actually was told about the event and I, I had wanted to go, but because I still hadn't had my orcs painted, I was like, well, 
like between, you know, work and other commitments, there's no way realistically that I could get this. So, you know, like, I'll see you guys next time. Um, and I was like, if somebody wants to throw a fully painted army my way, I'll show out to Golden Sprue. And I just said it as like a gag in like a group chat. And like, I think like a week went by. It was just a joke. And then I just got a message like, hey, uh, if you want to borrow my Iron Jaws. So I actually had a friend that I met through that group chat as well. So not only did I find the event that way, but I was able to play because of the kindness of someone that I met through that same group chat um, and borrow some of their minis so I could actually play at the GT. Uh, and that ended up uh, panning out really well too. So that was, it was really awesome. And uh, shout out to Brian for uh, loaning me some iron jaws. <laughs> I was going to make sure I was going to, I was going to make sure that you shattered that whoever this person out, because for them to lend you out an army to allow you to play is just extraordinary. And there's been plenty of times where people have said to me, Oh, can I, can I borrow this? Do you mind if you do this? Can you bring me something? I'm like, yeah, cool. No problems um again you know we're, we're all pretty flexible we're pretty cool as long as you know you're being respectful and and all that good stuff um i think i don't know if this is common in your community but certainly in australia at the end of our events we will allow other tos to announce their events so you know i'll run my sydney gt and you know after, after the award ceremony if i know they're a tournament organized i'll say guys is there any you know because normally at a tournament people are uh, at a high they've had a great weekend and they're waiting for the next one it's like a drug it's like i oh, slap the next tournament in my veins <laughs> and you go cool you know sydney slaughter's coming up in a couple of months time hey war under the mountains is coming up in february keep an eye out for tickets they're going to be coming out soon you build a bit of awareness as well so i think you know we 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 want more events running we obviously want events as big as possible so um the more you get into your community, and again, uh, AOS Reminders is, is a great uh, AOS Shorts. Um, that their website that has a link, or one of the resource links, goes to things AOS Calendar or AOSEvents.org or something. Um, another way. Two other burning questions I had for you at this particular moment that I was thinking about because as a tournament organizer, I know proxies. Um, it's certainly one that I'm always concerned about, or I want your thoughts because. As 3D printing rises up, the Games Workshop model changes, right? Like, I, you know, we we all know what a, a Mega Gargant looks like from Suns. And, you know, if you've had some experience, you might know what a Kraken Eater looks like versus a War Stomper versus a um, uh, Gatebreaker. There's three distinct versions. But I can 3D print a Mega Gargant, and it doesn't necessarily look like the Games Workshop Mega Gargant. As a new player, I'm always concerned that your interaction or your understanding of the game may be impacted or there might be those I gotcha moments because you're not quite confident what you're facing. So I guess the question I've got for you as a new player is did you face any – I suppose you played a lot of Stormcast, but I guess what are your thoughts on, on these proxies and – is it confusing? I'm not telling you to, to, to tell players not to use them, but I guess as a new player who's learning the game, who's trying to learn strategy, is proxies and those types of like 3D models confusing at times? It can be to some extent. Uh, I think it, it does vary on a model-to-model uh, -model basis. Um, there are some proxies that look fairly similar to what they're being stand-ins for, and there are some that are completely distinct or look nothing like it or people that proxy entire models that are maybe from another game system or something like that as a model. 
Uh, and as a new player, I did find that a little bit tricky to overcome because I already didn't know what the model looked like. And so if your first interaction with a model is a proxy and then you go and play the next game against the actual model, you find yourself still asking that second opponent, what model is that? What does it do? And they say it and you're like, oh, I played against that, but it didn't look like that. And also you can find yourself, you know, like you said, with gotcha moments on the table where you might forget like, oh, which one of those is the gate breaker? Uh, things along those lines. And I think that really underscores the need for clear communication with your opponent, asking them which unit is what unit on their list. Um, I always recommend to people if you're trying to be conscious of new players as well with your proxies, when you build your list in War Scroll Builder, you can name your units. Uh, a lot of people have fun with that for lore and narrative purposes. I personally like to identify models that have distinguishing features. So for example, like I played triple war chanters at the event. And so each of them had their sticks were intuitively painted. So the charge beat one was yellow, the killer beat one was red, and the healing beat one was green. And so I labeled them on the list as green sticks, yellow sticks, and red sticks. So that way my opponent knew which beat was tied to which model if they ever needed to reference my list. I would always remind them. Uh, and I think asking like your opponents which models is one thing, but if as a community we were to, you know, make sure that we're acknowledging like which is a proxy and which isn't right off the bat, like if you're someone that is using proxies, trying to ease that as much as you can for your opponent. Because experience or not, sometimes, although it's a, it, it is a part of the hobby, it can be a part of the hobby that can interfere with someone's understanding of the gameplay aspects. Um, so it's a very tricky line to, to walk. Uh, and I do think it does vary on a case-by-case -case basis to some extent. But there are some proxies that are just, you know, you, you can't even distinguish what it is if you don't ask. Uh, and that can be challenging as a new player. Um, one thing that helped me a lot that will probably help a lot of new players. If you find yourself running into a lot of proxied models, I try not to know what every model looks like, but I try to do better with remembering names of models, um, and relatively like what they can do. Um, I try to like sort of like give each unit like a profile in my head and break them out. Like this is cavalry. It can move probably roughly like X number of inches. Maybe it gets a charge bonus and categorize units like that. That way it's easier to remember, even if maybe in the moment you're making like a snap decision and you don't recall what a particular model is, but if you can remember sort of that categorization and roughly what it might do, that can help you and eliminate some of the tedium of having to ask about it. And that is the basis of my question. It's not that I'm here to gatekeep you and say 3D printing is wrong, only Games Workshop models at my tournaments. Um, I, I, that is not the message that I'm trying to convey. What I'm trying to convey is when Tyler and I are fighting, let's say it's you and I, we're battling one-on-one, -on -one, and, you know, in the list discussion time, you know, we always explain, like, what does your army do and what is this all about? And I'll say, oh, this is a gatebreaker mega gargant. And at the time, at the start of the battle, Tyler intellectually understands that this model represents the Mega Gargant. But one hour in, when we're in the thick of the battle, we're rolling dice, we're getting into combat, we're preparing charges, we're thinking about strategy, sometimes we forget about what that actually is or we make assumptions because I was thinking, oh, that's the Kraken Eater or I make some type of assumption. And, you know, then I'm like, oh, if I remembered that that was actually the Kraken Eater, the, the, uh, the Gatebreaker, not the Kraken Eater, then I wouldn't have charged it. I would have applied all that attack. I would have tried this. I would have retreated. And 
that that's the kind of conversation I'm, I'm thinking about. Not necessarily you can't or you can proxy, but rather what happens in the thick of the battle. And I love your example of having, if you had like triple war chanter and you do it in tabletop simulator a lot, you color code blue, green, yellow, orange, and they represent um, ones with different spells or different abilities or which one's the general or what has shields versus what has, you know, two-handed weapons. Um, any way that you can kind of improve the the game experience, I guess, for a new player, not just at the start, but throughout the game. Yeah, I think also, too, it's important to point out that a lot of that, Dep uh, you know, I said it depends on the model, but it's especially tricky when you have armies that have models that have similar roles on the table um, or are built similarly, um, but there are slight differences. Uh, Mega Gargans in and of themselves are kind of tricky to tell apart because they're all Megas. They, they're just holding different equipment. Um, yeah. I couldn't even tell you offhand which one is holding which item because I, I don't remember, but I have a rough idea. Like if you tell me like, Oh, like it's a, a gate breaker. Like, okay. Like I have an idea of what that does, but you know, it, it, it can get harder to tell between those similar models. Whereas like if you're playing iron jaws and like you have proxy gore there's not another army in or model in your iron jaws army. That's filling that role. And it's very distinct. Um, and you know what it is. Uh, there was one player actually at the event that had a, uh, very unique iron jaws set up and had different animals in place of gorgrunts. One was like an elephant. One was a, a rhino. And it was very interesting. I thought it was very cool. But what I liked about it also was that although they had a good time hobbying with the army, it was so easy to tell what is what because the units are so distinct and all serve like a certain role. There's not a lot of overlap. Yeah, no, this is a good conversation. Just to keep in mind of other player experience. Um, again, we're not gatekeeping. We're not saying not to do it, but rather think of the impacts. And 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 Adam made a really good point as well. I see this in 40K more than Age of Sigma, but especially like, you know, when you, you know, you're doing your blue smurf ultramarines and they all look literally the same, you could paint the rims of the bases, you know, one could be yellow, one could be red. And that distinguishes the different squads, especially when you're in the thick of combat. So um good good conversation um just to keep that in mind especially if we're trying to encourage new players into the the, the match play scene and we don't want to have those i gotcha moments um the other one that i was thinking about especially like when you're actually at the event was how do you build friends now i say this because i am a um i'm an outward um expressive person i um, I, I've, i worked in sales for a long time before, you know, um, before the YouTube days, um, I, you know, like for me to, to knock on someone's door, to talk to somebody in retail, to, to, to literally call someone over the phone and, and, and talk to somebody, no concern, literally no concern. But for a lot of people in this hobby, especially they're probably more of an introverted nature as opposed to an extroverted nature. And that makes them uncomfortable to initiate a conversation. So I guess my question is, do you have any advice or thoughts around how you build rapport and relationships with, with, and I guess generally make a good impression with your opponent and other people? Yeah, I think um, it's important when you show up to the event, uh, if you're an extroverted player to always be mindful of how willing other players are to socialize 
and understand that although you yourself might be incredibly extroverted, some players, it might take them a little more time to get comfortable or talk back. Uh, it sometimes it, it feels like it's your obligation when you're social to sort of prior response out of people. It's like, oh, like, why aren't they talking back to me to the same extent that I'm speaking to them? And sometimes that in and of itself can be overwhelming for people. Um, so for extroverted players, my advice would always be to, to know when to walk it back um, and provide players space. Um, for introverted players, I think that, you know, the good news is for everyone that is at the event, we're all there to share something. We're all there to play Warhammer. We're all there to have a good time, play the game. We enjoy pushing our models around the table and throwing some dice. And that right there is a bridge between yourself and other people. And if there's uh, some level of anxiety or some reservation about communicating with others at the event or you're looking to make friends, that is a perfect in because you're not only there to participate in an event for that game, you yourself are playing in it. Uh, you know, you've all painted up your models. That right there is the perfect conversation starter, and it's right in front of you. And if you're at a GT, you're committed to do it for five rounds, presumably. So um, that's a really great way to open up and talk to people. Um, as I said earlier, another thing that I always try to do is go back and chat with my opponents, ask them how their day is going, how their other games went, if they're having a good time, things like that. Um it's great to talk to people, whether they beat you or vice versa. Um, just communicate with people because that's how you build lasting relationships. And I think that's how you do a good job carrying the game's reputation on your shoulders as a player as well. Um, you know, our community is what we put into it. And so as a player, I, I think we all have a responsibility to try to be friendly and carry ourselves well at events um, and extend those olive branches to people. Um, as best as we can so that way they feel comfortable and maybe want to uh, break out of their shell and participate i also think too your local gaming space is a great spot to break out of your shell if you have some of those reservations about a local event go and play some pickup games first pause that question because i want to bring a question up that that actually perfectly ties to that um is it yuzel yuzel sorry for the, the, the mispronunciation um this is a really good point as well. Stick to the safe topics. You know, you don't need to be discussing politics and gender and and sex and race and like keep that like, like you don't have to discuss that. You've got Warhammer to talk about. You know, you could always talk about things like where else do you play the game? You know, how did you paint the army? I really like that red. What combination did you use? You know, you can talk about things that are relevant to the table. You don't have, you know, you don't have to just just keep it relevant. Um, and I think the other question, I, the reason I paused you, Tyler, was because, you know, we do have a, a question here or a conversation around, you know, I'm nervous joining this, this fantasy league in my local game store. And it can be quite intimidating, especially because some of these leagues are built over time. So there's relationships where it could be a new year, new army. And, you know, there's 10 players who have done this year on year at this local game store and they hang out every Thursday and play Warhammer and they go to the local tournaments when they can. and you just walk in with no actual relationship, no experience with these people, and you feel like an outsider, potentially. Not everybody, but some people. A anything that you would say around, you know, reducing those nerves and, um, you know, joining joining up? You'll find the best way to alleviate a lot of that 
And it's, sometimes it's hard to, to self-motivate and get in there and play that first game. But once you break that barrier down, it's, it's sort of like a, a little bit like a floodgate. You know, all of a sudden, you know, it, that one game might lead to another and you're having more conversations. Um, you know, the first time I went into my local game store to decide if I wanted to play 40K or Age of Sigmar, um, I, I wouldn't say I was especially acknowledged by people that were there at the time. I was just sort of uh, invisible, perusing the shelves, trying to figure out what models I thought looked the best. Um, and, you know, there were a few people that made some, like, passing comments to me over time as I was considering jumping into the game. Uh, and then I think the thing that helped the most was finally for myself and my own fulfillment, because I really wanted to play the game and I knew that I would enjoy it showing up and just participating, playing one game. And that inevitably leads to those conversations where people are like, oh, do you uh, have you been playing for a while? Are you new or things like that? Um, now, obviously, if you're going to try to play a learning game that can be a whole different thing because then you have like the social anxiety aspect, but then there's also the component where you might feel like you're burdening somebody with trying to teach you to play the game. Um, in those cases, I would say too, if you don't feel comfortable taking that leap, there are tons of great online resources to teach you about the rules of age of Sigmar um, and practice. Tabletop simulator is great because it has all the guides and, battle tactics and things on the table that you can read as you're playing. Um, leveraging those resources to build that comfort and understanding of the rule set on your own before you start pushing models frequently can go a long way as well. Um, but it can be very hard to take that first step, especially when there is that unfamiliar there. But so, uh, I think whether you're an extrovert or introvert, sometimes taking that first step for yourself because you care about the game and you want to participate it can, can lead to a whole lot of social activity and a lot of opportunities to bridge those gaps and build those relationships. I think the online as well allows you uh, some, some communities, especially like, you know, my local um, game store will have like an active Facebook group or I'll have like an active page and, you know, you'll see discussions that are happening. If you get in, they'll start to recognize like, Oh, who's this Anthony fellow? Who's this person that's starting to comment? And then I'll walk in the store. People will go, oh, that's Anthony. Oh, hey, I've seen you around. I saw you commenting. Oh, I saw your, your work in progress photos. It's really cool. And, you know, you can break down some of those barriers before you even get to the store. And, you know, see, Mucky mentioned a really good point. How did you get into the hobby? That's just another great way. Like, you know, like we've all yeah. got a passionate story that we would all excitedly share how you got into the hobby. So if nothing more, cracking icebreaker. And we all had that starting point too. That's one wavelength that we can all connect on uh, within the game and across gaming systems with miniatures as well. And you know what, Gareth made a good point as well. You know, if you're wondering, you know, do I share any hobbies with this person? We already know we've got something in common. Mm -hmm. You know, we you've got things around, you know, some of the local meta and events and, you know, you don't, you can steer away from, uh, you know, just, just stick to the hobby, if nothing more. And then you might mm -hmm. branch into what else are you interested in? What do you, what, you know, what do you get up to outside of Warhammer or, you know, what do you do for a living if you, you build enough rapport, but, you know, ultimately, you know, people just want to come to events and push some doll models around and, and just, just, just have fun and punch things. I don't want to be talking about the news. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think Grumney is, you know, nailed it on the head. And, and 
this is not unique. This is pretty consistent across the, the world is that people are pretty welcoming. You know, we all remember the first time we got into something new and we've all seen like oh, this. I can't count on my hands how many people I've taught to play a game who have gone on to win an event, top 10 in an event. I'm not saying it was me who did it, but I remember the humble beginnings of them entering the hobby for the first time, practicing, playing, giving advice, and then seeing them grow. And, you know, and then they bring on and, and they take the, the mantle and they start teaching people. And that's how this game kind of survives. That's how I got into the hobby. That's how other people get into the hobby. We all pass the torch to somebody, you know, don't be worried at all about breaking into the community, but be open and, you know, as, as you know, been mentioned, like jump into the Discord, jump into um, whatever social, Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we all have online communities somewhere that you can kind of jump in initially. Um, everyone Everyone's different. I know for Australia, um, we're much more in the Facebook groups pages, um, but I know other people have merged, merged onto to, to Discord, to WhatsApp, to other online communities. Carrot, you're a dick. <laughs> I throw against 13-year-olds. Oh, goodness. Oh, uh, Hudson's uh, the counter-argument. I feel tournament is a great way to break into the local community. Randomly assigned opponents means you don't have the anxiety of, um, of yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's a really good point. I remember a tournament um, uh, in Australia. Uh, there are two key, you know, states. You know, we have Queensland and we have New South Wales on the East Coast. And I remember there was 10 of us who traveled from New South Wales, where I live, up to Queensland. And um, we actually grudged the Queenslanders. We wanted like our first game 10 on 10 um, and to have like a bit of like, a, you know, who who is the better state. And it was that camaraderie as well that helped a lot as well. But ultimately, you know, as um, Trevor said, you know, we're we're all we're all super welcoming and it's, it's not just my community it's not just dallas it's literally everybody let's wrap this up i've got like five more questions i want to ask you and i want to go eat my delicious meat pie to celebrate my public holiday um very australian <laughs> australian meat pie and a sausage roll what were the differences between casual and competitive play now that you've made the jump did you notice any differences um and maybe like it's almost like a pre-warning for someone who's making that jump for the first time Intent is the big one. Uh, you look at the game from a different angle. Um, I think every time you sit at the table, for the most part, we all aspire to win the games that we're playing when we play casually. But we're more focused on having a good game and trying to have some fun with it. Maybe trying a strategy or like a funny move that we wouldn't normally think would uh, work out on average. Um, whereas competitive, you're looking for those small optimizations in your play and ways that you can pick up and meet other players on the table um, at the same skill level. Um, you're going in there with the, certainly obviously, you know, you still want to have a, a good game with your opponent and a, uh, you know, be a good sport and everything, but there's a balance there that suddenly is beginning to shift more towards trying to figure out what are the best ways to win the game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a great challenge and it's a great test as well. I think that's, you know, the tournament to me is a puzzle. You're playing five games. You don't know. You can't set up the games. You don't get the order. Because sometimes you play the right army in the wrong battle plan. 
or you play the wrong battle, mm -hmm. the, the the right battle plan, but the wrong army. You know, sometimes just the dice doesn't don't go your way, and it's not the priority roll; it's the matchup process. It's how sometimes, and you know what, you've just got to roll with the punches. It's some things don't go your way. Your results do not determine how good you are as a player, because sometimes mm -hmm. players have bad days. Sometimes players have bad runs. You know, Tyler, you, you went four and one against Stormcast. But let's say that the list that you you played against, you know, wasn't very good at Stormcast or you just didn't have enough experience. Just luck at the draw sometimes just pips you. And for me, it's always about learning. You're just learning, you're growing, you're getting more experience, you're getting more knowledge. I think the 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 casual play is there's nothing on the line and I can re-rack. If things don't go your way, like, look, I'll concede, Tyler. Do you, do you want to re-rack and have another game? Um, do you want to practice some things? Let's talk things through. While tournaments, it's like a, a you know a test of strength. Yeah, definitely. And I think also tournaments incentivize you. You know, like you said, to to play all five of those games. It's a part of scoring. You want those battle tactics. Um, you want to make sure that you get your grand strat if you can. Things like that because it will affect your next round pairings. Whereas, like you said, you know, in a casual game, you could just be practicing deployment strategies. And yeah, you could absolutely. practice any particular scenario. And that's just like it. You can play smaller, more condensed games. There can be that narrative component in casual play as well. Um, and, you know, that can't be understated. That stuff's a lot of fun too. Um, but obviously very different totally than competitive play. Yeah, absolutely. Anything you've learned or, you know, now that you've reflected um, on your first tournament, you're preparing for your next big one. Is there anything that you kind of learnt that you'd want to share with others that you wish you knew earlier, um, or maybe a bit of reflection, like other than having like a, some combat gauges? You're like, yeah, I wish I had some combat gauges. <laughs> uh, I would say the most important part of my preparation for the event was actually pushing models on the table, um, playing games on tabletop simulator. Uh, I, I think I want to work on going forward, not sweating the small stuff as much with tinkering with a list and more so finding comfort with uh, the mechanics of an army and maybe knowing the options available to me um, as opposed to maybe toiling with which artifact I choose. Granted, that stuff can make a great difference on the table, but you'll find that you can get a bit more mileage out of playing optimally with a subpar list than you can with an optimal list that you don't really know all too well. Um, and so I think that's something that's helped me sort of recontextualize my approach to preparing for events and something that I look forward to kind of putting forward, uh, looking out to future GTs as well. Uh, by the way, by the way, as Jonathan said, you need multiple combat gauges. I carry around like <laughs> six of them. I've got a bunch of nine inch gauges as well um and six inch gauges as well they're good to like work out like you know can someone deep strike me and things like that mm -hmm. um <laughs> yeah definitely a few me, more tools i gotta pick up <laughs> i think for me like the big one is deployment i mm -hmm. think having a deployment plan and having an idea because often you know you put yourself in a bad position when you deploy poorly um if you are and even thinking through do I go first or do I go second if I win the deployment? And almost like your decision tree is like what your conditions are. And I remember um, I remember when I flew from Australia to England to play a game at um, Blood and Glory. 
and um, I was shitting bricks because I was flying over and I was going to play on Warhammer TV. The first game was going to be live streamed at the event. It was myself versus Dan with the Skaven. And um, I was going to be on live stream. I was going to be the second Australian to play on Warhammer TV, potentially the first person to win. Spoiler, I did win. So I was the first Australian to win <laughs> on Warhammer TV, uh, live battle report. And one of the things that I did was I drew out the deployment maps to go, right, what is my ideal deployments when I'm playing Battle for the Pass and I have these four objectives here, you know, there's going to be some terrain here. How do I deploy my troops? How do I do this? How do I deploy if um, my opponent can deep strike? If I'm going to lose the priority role, where do I deploy? If and, and, and basically when you practice and you have deliberate practice, all you're doing is providing yourself references so at a tournament you make a better decision. That instead of sitting there for 15 minutes going, how do I deploy? You're like, right, okay, I'm playing against Iron Jaws. I know he's going to charge me turn one. I know if I don't uh, deploy close enough to the objectives, he's going to pin me in my backfield. I'm going to struggle to get out. Or, you know, I practice a world where I've actually split up my force into two bubbles. And yeah, he's more crusher might charge one of my forces, but I've still got half of my army who then go out and do stuff. Or, you know, maybe I need a unit, you know, a unit of Shadow Warriors to deep strike. And I've I've played around with these scenarios, either in my head or actually on the table. Yeah, definitely. And uh, there's a lot of nuance with uh, measurements on the table and making sure that your deployment matches in the way that it does. Thinking, oh, can he pile in this unit around my screen? Or, you know, what can happen if this happens? And so I, I agree running those scenarios back is really important. Uh, and it was definitely something that I incorporated a decent bit into my practice leading up to this event, but something that I think, you know, playing that first turn or two and figuring out deployment, opening battle tactics, and that, that starting uh, point of the game and leading off strong uh, is really integral. You've also got great references as well, like being, uh, again, I was flying, so I, I, I had the luxury of like a 24-hour flight. Mm -hmm. But even before that, you know, I could be watching battle reports from, you know, Rerolling One, Seasons of War, you know, Bulldog Hammer. There's so many great battle report channels out there at the moment that, you know, these are top competitive players. You know, Bulldog Hammer is run by Yuri, who is, I think, one of the best destruction players in um, on the ITC ranking. Jordan and the Season of War, you know, Ridge and, and all the crew, you know, very, very good players and, you know, some of the top rankings as well. You know, Jack, you know, like I'm getting into the mind. So if I want to see shoot cast, I know Jack might have that on a battle report. So I can see how he deploys and I can go, right, well, if Jack deploys like this, how would I handle it? And you can think about those scenarios um, as, as an example. So that's another way of getting exposure. If you don't have TTS, if you don't have time to play, you know, 10 games against one particular opponent. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, Season of War, obviously, great battle reports in terms of quality. Um, obviously, I, I spent a lot of time watching the AOS Coach podcast, learning things or two about how to deal with Marathi and things of that nature. And that's a well, Marcella, great way to Marcella was there. Marcella was at the event. So you hear what Marcella's saying and, you know, her thoughts around that. So, like, there's another example. And, you know, to Mike's point as well, you know, reread your rules. Mm -hmm. It sounds pretty basic, but, you know, when you think of the moment, you know, sometimes we forget some things or we make assumptions and we kind of get too down a rabbit hole. You're like, oh, I forgot about this. Or, hey, this is how this works. Yeah, definitely. I uh, There's a lot of little tidbits you could pick up. I also think that, you know, when you finish your rounds and you have time in between rounds or, 
even at the end of day one, going into day two, like if your pairings have gone up or maybe if you just have an idea of who you could play, read your rules, but also maybe check what your opponent's playing too. Like, look, do your research. That'll help you a lot in playing a full five-turn game in a timely manner and feeling like you got the most out of that experience and like you you went in prepared for that. Um, it can't hurt to use that time. And that's an advantage, I think, that you have in... Um, warhammer that you might not have in card games whereas you play a lot more rounds and you know obviously if they cut to a top cut you have an idea of who you're playing against and what you could see but there's fewer games and there's greater bits of time in between them if you finish your games in a reasonable span of time that you can use that to your advantage to prepare to understand to clarify things uh watch other games that's another great thing just walk around watch people play um and those are all just fantastic resources another cool thing as well like when you have a group of players um i do this quite a lot as well as you know we'll have our little group chats and there's a, like a, a whatsapp or a facebook uh, messenger chat and you know that's actually part of the, the fun with tournaments you like when you get the matchups or you see in advance like right you know game three after lunch is going to be x you know, mm-hmm. we all as a crew, we get together like, right, okay, you're playing against Lumineth. You're going to look after the Cathalar, watch out for this. You want to unbind this spell. And, you know, sometimes you'll shoot messages into each other. And it's that that con- combined problem solving that gets you to become a better player because you're either getting exposed to what your um, your group is is kind of discussing or it gets you to think you're like, right, okay, if I get to deal with Cathalar with you know, 30 Sentinels, and they're going to pick off the key hero with a bunch of mortal wounds, and they ignore line of sight. Well, what am I going to do? How do I win that game? And they're like, okay, well, think about this, do this. Um, And, you know, that just makes you a better player. You going to say something? Oh, I was going to say, I I wholeheartedly agree on that point. It's, uh, you need to pick up that knowledge any way that you can. And if it's there on the table and you have that chance to have those discussions, do it. Uh, special shout out to Sean Allen, as you were saying this, uh, you know, Sean also 4-1 to Golden Sprue. Um, and I immediately thought back to, you know, going into the fifth round, I think he was expecting to get paired against, uh, there was a squig list that was running around at Golden Sprue with uh, Kragner. Is that Justin? Justin? I, I, I believe so. It, it may have I'm been. Trying to, I, I'm trying to get him on the channel. I, I, I think after LV, I'm going to get Justin on the channel. Because I think he went 3-2 with nothing yep. but squigs and Kragnos. And I'm like... Brother, we need to talk. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned, folks. Fantastic list. And, uh, you know, Sean and I were sitting at the table and we were eating lunch. And he was like, I think I might be playing against Squigs of Kragnos. And he's like, do I go first or go second? And we just spent like 15 minutes talking it through because, honestly, I think n- neither of us had any clue what to expect on that front. It's not every day you see that many Squigs on the table. So that was uh, the conversation that immediately came to mind with both of us being 3-1 going into the last round thinking, oh, like, what if we play the squigs? Like, what do we do? <laughs> but but that goes to like the off meta stuff. We talked about mm-hmm. not running meta stuff. Like if no one has experience against squigs, because not a lot of people are running squigs and most people have an experience with Kragnos because craggy has been rubbish for most of the, most of the game so far. People don't have the strategies. They haven't practiced against Kragnos. They haven't thought about squigs and they haven't then thought about combination of Kragnos and squigs. So you catch a lot of people off and you make them make bad decisions mm-hmm. you capitalize on. So again, another reason why you shouldn't just purely focus on the meta 
because sometimes and you know you, you talk about martin orlando you know i was having a group chat with a few people um in in your community in the in the east coast and one thing we were saying is that you know long strikes and bow snakes are really powerful right now but if i run a horde if i run nothing but gits and and skaven and just like 200 300 wounds on the table okay shoot off my six people with mortal wounds yeah. guess what i still got 200 grots sitting on an objective <laughs> okay yeah the off meta play uh lists really do have a place in this game which is something i appreciate in that you can take those armies that might not look as promising because they might have like a lower overall win percentage but if you're a capable pilot and people aren't prepared you can if people don't respect your army, you can catch them out, and that's an easy pickup. They underestimate. They underestimate. Wargog Prophets, another great example. Gareth's talking about people. People poo pooed on bone splitters, and they're going to catch you out. Um, I, I did have a question. I know I've got um, I've got some experience here. Maybe I'll take the lead on this one, and you can add anything extra. Um, I had a question come up. Sorry, the actual question was around overseas tournaments. And look, I'm mindful this is about first tournament experiences. So if you're a new player going overseas, definitely a uh, an extra jump. But I've had the pleasure of playing over in England. I played over in America. Uh, I was due to play in New Zealand and in COVID hit as well as I had another tournament in America. I was meant to go to Midwest Meltdown um, as well as Notorious GT. And um, look, some of my, the, the big piece of advice I would I would share, actually two pieces of advice. One, I talked about online communities. Get yourself known in those online communities. Talk to the TO, get involved in the group chats. You know, I got involved in the Midwest Meltdown and, you know, the Adepticon chats and even well before I was a content creator, when I went to Blood and Glory, I, di I didn't have a channel, actually. Uh, it was actually Blood and Glory that inspired me to create the AOS Coach channel. After meeting the likes of Facehammer, uh, Ben Johnson introduced himself, and I'm like, there's not a lot of representative for Australia in the, you know, the internet. So when I went to England, um, no one really knew me. I was just average Joe with an Australian accent. So I guess my big piece of advice would be um, one, get yourself involved in those communities, get yourself, let people know that you're over and people were very welcoming. They invited me to lunches. They made sure I got a seat at the, uh, the GW preview. They were really cool about it. But two, um, when I traveled, make sure that you do carry on luggage. I can't stress that enough. Do not do check luggage. You're going to have your stuff broken. Um, carry on airport security, just measure the, um, just make sure that your carry case can fit in the overhead. So I know personally the Crusade carry case fits in all domestic and international flights. I can't say the same thing. And I know when I looked at Magna Rack and some of the competitors, I was not confident that they would fit snugly into the overhead rack. So that was what I was concerned about because I've heard too many horror stories about checked luggage and opening up their and their models are just smashed because they've been all over the shop. Yeah, to that end, I can't say that I've uh, traveled internationally for any events. I was uh, thankfully fa fairly close to the venue for uh, the Golden Spur GT. It was maybe you know like a, like a 20, 25 minute drive. So I, I I slept in my own bed in between days. Like it wasn't I didn't have to book any uh, hotels or anything for that. Um, which honestly was probably helpful because I felt plenty comfortable, you know, going home, having a full meal and, you know, hanging out and just looking at what I might play the next day. Um, 
But who knows? Maybe in a few years' time, that's subject to change if I keep getting my reps in. And the other part to the question was things like, you know, hotels and stuff. So Ben Curry, who was the TO at the time, um, most events will have like a recommended hotel to stay at. They'll often have a deal or something. Um, I stayed there because, um, one, obviously it made my life easy. But two, I knew there was a good chance that other people were going to stay at the venue. So it means that I was going to stumble upon them at the elevators or at breakfast. Um, you know, when I was walking back to the hotel, people would say, hey, we're going go to go to this place to have dinner or, hey, come meet up and have breakfast with us. So, um, and that's probably one of the things that I appreciated at these conventions is the, not just the five games, but rather the little side things that happen and, you know, really integrates you with the community. So um, big, big shout there. And also who wants to paint 200 gits? Well, I paint 200 gits. I've got 200 goblins. Three more <laughs> questions I've got preloaded. One, how many measuring tapes is too many? These come from Melody. I've never found myself needing more than two, but I admit that I only have one. So I often find myself asking my opponent if they may measure or could measure something for me. But most players are very pleasant or more than happy to help you measure awkward angles and figure things out like that, both for the sake of accuracy and expediency on the table. I always bring an extra one as well, because um, there's always been times where like it's broken on me. Um, mm -hmm. or I want to measure up the table and like split the, the, the deployment lines or, you know, the, I've done multiple things and I always got like three, I've always got three, but I'm over-prepared. I've got like 12 terrain dice. I've got, you know, like seven combat gauges. I've got like wound counters to count everyone at the event. Like I'm always, I pack, you know, anyone who's watched the video, I've got like a tournament preparation guide. It's like literally got like protein bars in there and like I've got, you know, nootropics and I've got like a wheel cart. Like I go over, over the top. <laughs> Last two questions before you realize how crazy I am. Um, one, is there anything that, so the question I got given from the Discord was outside of the actual matches, are there fun, rewarding things to do for a newcomer? So I kind of mentioned a little bit already, things like the breakfasts, the lunch, the drinks, the social interactions. Heaven knows what LVO is going to be like with, you know, strip clubs and casinos and bars and like just all the delicacies of the world. Um, but outside of, outside <laughs> of like that, like assuming we're all not going to Vegas, um, is there anything else that you look forward to or things outside of like the, the, the battles? Yeah. Um, you know, much to what you said, I, I really enjoy the camaraderie and just chatting with people. Uh, we're all there to see and push around some models on the table. I love going around and looking at people's, uh, you know, the different paint jobs they've done on their armies, conversion work, things like that, cool display boards. I am uh, still working on trying to bridge some of those gaps with my own hobby skills. So being able to look at like what other people have pulled together, I find to be really inspirational for things that I might want to do um, with my own models. But it's also just really fun to talk to them about their process and how they come up with cool ideas and conversions. You know, uh, I, I had mentioned before, I, uh, forget the gentleman's name, but he uh, had the different animals for his Gorgruntas. And I, I think it was his weird knob shaman was like three grots, like in a trench coat, like standing one on top of the other. Uh, they were stacked up. It, it was so impressive. I, uh, I really, really uh, love that part of the hobby. Um, and I, I love looking at other people's armies and models and asking how they did different things. So that's something that I personally take a lot away from uh, and that I, aspire to meet them on the same level at someday in terms of hobby prowess. <laughs> 
Display boards are cool. I remember I went to a tournament at uh, it was called Bruce Hammer, and there was t- it was a sixty player event, and there was ten Archeons at the table. So we actually lined up all ten Archeons um, before <laughs> before day two started, and I filmed like a TikTok and I did a panorama video of all ten. It was interesting to see how different they all were, and you know some of the one was painted Zinch, one was painted Slanesh, one was a Corn, one was a Nerva. There was some crazy cool, and like it was really inspiring. The other part that's really underappreciated, but you referenced earlier that you didn't quite touch on, but you did reference, and that's the carpool. Um, I remember there's been plenty of times where I've flown or driven with friends to a tournament, and it's those carpool discussions and strategizing and listening to podcasts and trying to talk about tackling the meta, and it's these weird Warhammer. You're like, we're all in the car together. It's a long drive, and you just get your nerd on. And um, that was so much fun. So I think those, if you can carpool, if you can travel, uh, if you can Airbnb and share accommodation or some t- something like that, um, it's, again, it's those moments outside of purely what happens on the table that um, really lights my fires for when it comes to tournaments and why I would do that as opposed to just staying at home or staying locally. If you get the chance to go grab food with your friends as well, do it. You won't regret it. It's always a good time. Just go laugh about all your blunders of the day or successes, whatever the case may be. I think like 10 of us went out and we, we loaded up the table with food after day one of golden sprue. And honestly, it was a fantastic time. I I left with a full stomach and you wouldn't change it for the world. It was great. Um, And those opportunities to go and have an excuse to treat yourself to a nice meal, take it when you can. Yeah, t- take the opportunities, run with it, you know, stay connected with your family and your friends. Like if you've got a wife or a husband or kids or whatever, you know, still have the little connection points. I think that's key. Make sure that you're being present for them. But, yeah, make mm-hmm. sure you take advantage and have the breakfast, the lunch, the dinner. Go out and and um, and get to know the community, which leads me to my last question, and then we'll wrap things up because I'm sure my, my, my meat pie is ready to go. Delicious pepper beef meat pie. <laughs> but... <laughs> um the last question i had was is there any advice that you you would not advice but is there anything that you would say to someone who's listening to this and is concerned about dipping their toes into the tournament scene you know maybe they're they're concerned about you know is this the right time you know am i good enough is um you know am i going to slow people down you know am i going to have to paint my army like all those things that kind of stop us from doing the do what would you say to that person? And we'll wrap up from there. I've, uh, across games, I think I've always set very high expectations for myself in terms of play and wanting to, you know, come away with a win or pull some great prize from an event. And it's always enticing to do so. And I uh, I remember before Golden Sprue, uh, my fiance had left for the weekend. Uh, and I had mentioned to her, like, oh, like, I'll, I'll make you proud this weekend. And she had said to me, don't worry about that. Just make yourself proud. The only expectations you have to worry about are the ones that you set for yourself. And that's it. Do the same thing. If you're thinking of going to events, set reasonable expectations for yourself. Be kind to yourself and don't put the pressure on. Go have some fun. We're all there for the love of the hobby in the game. And don't lay it on too thick because you'll come away regretting that. And you'll be frustrated with yourself rather than thinking about wow, I just had a fantastic weekend pushing models and meeting a bunch of great new people. Couldn't have said it better myself. It comes back to the expectations. It comes back to just what is your goal? 
to have a great time. Don't worry about the wins. Don't worry about the losses. Roll with the punches. Set yourself some challenges and some goals, but don't don't get stressed out. Like you're just new to the hobby. Like appreciate that. And then now you've got a baseline. Josh, uh, Josh, the uh, the Coteo at Golden Spruce saying, dive headfirst into the pavement. Now, um, I'm sure there's a story there, but. Um, if people want to know that story or do you, do you want to share that story or is it like, I did not dive head first into the pavement, but I would say that I dove head first into the competitive scene. Thankfully, if anyone took Perfect. a nose dive, uh, Josh, I'm sure you'll inform me after I, uh, get off the call with coach here. Cause maybe he knows something. I don't know. <laughs> All right. There's something like that, but look, ultimately I think, you know, the Nick Ninja has nailed this perfectly. You know, you've made us absolutely proud. I think what you've shared over this last two hours, I hope for anyone who's listened to this stream, whether it's live or on demand, um, I think, you know, I would feel confident getting into the Warhammer scene, especially the Age of Sigmar scene. Um, it is welcoming. It is friendly. Um, we like to play hard, but it's not at win at all costs. You are going to play against tough players, but know that most tough players are playing a tough list. You know, not to say that a person who's playing the most competitive builds are bad people. Um, it's just, and I think that's probably one one lesson that you learn when you go to tournaments is if you get annihilated in turn one, you know, your opponent like does something that happens. It's not a reflection on the the player. It's just a bad matchup. It's just a bad game. You know, we're all human. We're all nice people. We all love the hobby. We all spend so much time building, painting, and playing with our toys. So. Keep that in mind. Any final shout outs? Anything you want to recommend? I uh, mean, you've got a lot of lovers here. You've got so many people, um, a lot of big supporters for you, man. Um, any shout outs? Any final recommendations? If people want to talk to you, uh, where can they find you? Uh, I know you're clearly in my Discord, but is there, are you anywhere else on the internet? Yeah, I uh, I actually I have just just decided this past week to join Warhammer Twitter. So you can find me uh, at official Bush Baby on uh, Twitter. Um, so I'd be happy to chat about the hobby. Um, feel free to if you see me in the AOS Coach Discord. I'm in uh, a number of discords for many different channels. Feel free to hit me up, whether it be for a game or just to chat about it. Um, special shout out to everyone in my local Warhammer community, both to the TOs and the players. Um, it was great to come away with, uh, you know, winning best overall and going 4-1 at my first GT. But most importantly, it was a really great weekend. And it was that way predominantly because of the people that I got to spend it with. So shout out to all of them and everyone who so patiently taught me many facets of the game over the months. Uh, and to my, uh, family and friends as well, who always listen to my, my musings about pushing models around the table and throwing dice, whether they do or don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's all right. You get to a point where my wife has no interest in Warhammer. She, she at least now asks the right questions. She's like, what's that? What's that? How are you going? As opposed to like completely blocks it out. But Dude, this was awesome. Um, this was really good. And if people, you know, want to continue the conversation, one, Discord, you can check the link down below. Tyler, you play a lot of games in the server and, you know, other places. So if you want to see how Tyler plays or other people how it play, it's a great resource as well. And you've obviously got so many shows and, and the things you can listen to to prepare yourself. But 
Thanks, everyone. I'm going to bring this comment up and end the show because you absolutely have made us all proud. It was a great discussion. You have exceeded my expectations when I reached out to you and like, hey, let's talk about first player experience. Did I, I did not expect this. So um, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Coach, for having me on the show. And uh, thank you to everyone in the audience for tuning in. And uh, sub to AOS, Coach. It's a great resource. Uh, much love. All right. Time for that meat pie. See you, everybody. Thanks for sticking around until the end. I hope you found that video interesting and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would appreciate it if you hit like on the video as well as left me a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comment section below. The conversation will continue over on Discord, so links down below in the episode description if you want to join the Discord and continue the Age of Sigmar conversation. I want to give a massive shout out as well to these absolute bloody legends, these champions who have continued to support me through Patreon or YouTube members. That is going directly into supporting the maintenance and the growth of this channel. So thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. And until next time, roll more sixes.